Linux Games Podcast. The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam. Brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux. And beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of a where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know, uh, join us on Steam, and friend me on Steam. My name is Scoogie Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in, of course. Features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals. Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of... It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the next game on, bitches! Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to episode number 447 of The Best Linux Games Podcast. Being recorded for you on this Saturday, the 3rd of June, 2023. Crack Engineer. Oh, at uh, 2200 hours. Crack Engineer. Left Coast, Pacific Coast. Coast the most. Crack Engineer Ivor Molina over there in the booth holding up the whiskey sign, which is a little worse for wear, Ivor. So are you. I've always been a zombie now for like five years, ever since his suicide attempt after I fired him. So I've, you know, I think that's uh, a good idea. Whiskey sign's a good idea, but you're fired, Ivor. Hit that brick, ship bird. All right, whiskey. Tip, 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 episode for you this week. But before we continue, that would of course make it for our sequel friends, the followers of the one true time and date format, 2022 06 03, 2200 hours and change. Um, shit, what was I going to say? Because we have a huge show, we got to get straight to our top stories, but there was something I wanted to 
mention and it just slipped my mind. Okay, well, anyway, straight to our top stories. We're bumping, first off, we're bumping our AI Microsoft thing to next week, but it is in the works and it is going to be pretty awesome. It's, it's, it's insidious. It's some evil shit. It's going on with Microsoft, but we had to bump that to next week. Uh, we want to say a uh, hearty, heartfelt welcome, welcome, Doctor Jones. They'll be found. You won't. <laughs> a pity you don't speak Ovitos. Um, to uh, Graf. Uh, evidently, my alien analog, bizarro world version of me uh, lives in Australia. Uh, he's a game developer. Um, he's uh, actually you can get one of his games right now for free. Uh, the the demo of one of his games right now for free. It is called Road to Nowhere. I have yet to play it because I just found out about this last night. Um, but I do have it downloaded. It's free. Um, he's working on a couple of other. He's working on that game is like in the fridge right now. Anyway, he's gonna come on in the next couple of weeks to talk to us about uh, AI and uh, game development. Uh, and if you go way back, all the way back to the beginning of this, the or- the very origins of this show, man. Like, back when it was, like, all halcyon days and goodness and, like, everything was like, gonna be so hopeful and cool and... Yeah, before the dark times that like cripple us now. Oh uh, yeah. Um, if you go all the way back, well, you that this was like one of the purposes of this show is to do developer interviews, and uh, he's a fascinating guy. I can't wait to get him on the show. He already said that he would do it, so it's too late to back out. So he owes a light an hour of his life to us, and we owe him an endless what do you call it, a debt of gratitude and heartfelt heartfelt thanks um, provided that motherfucker shows and proves but uh, it's going to be fascinating uh, he's a cool, really cool guy, we've been chatting up, chatting it up on the Discord, if you haven't been to the Discord join our Discord, it's generally pretty quiet <laughs> especially after, what was it two years ago, three years ago when I freaked out and I shut the show down for one week, and then I kicked everybody out. <laughs> anyway, that was a good move. That was a very good move, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, whiskey's a hell of a drug. So, moving on. Um, I have to mention, it's not Linux game related, but fucking A, Golden Knights, Let's Go Knights. We played tonight. Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, yeah. Bam. Two of the most amazing plays in hockey I've ever seen. I don't watch a huge amount of hockey, but I have seen probably what would be regarded as like a normal person, beyond a normal person's fair share of hockey, and tonight's game was something else. Um, Okay, so before, we have like a very densely packed, thoroughly, all holes will be packed densely with uh, profound insights into game development and uh, Etc. News that will shock and horrify you. Um, information that will change your life and 
provide the final missing piece that you've been looking for for your workflow or your personal life or your interpersonal life or you know when it gets really quiet late at night and you think you're alone in your home but you're not quite sure because you feel something sinister sinister boiling in every room Something menacing, a terrible presence, a malevolent force. And you're beginning to question, why did I take so many shrooms? And this nameless creeping dread grows in strength and power and it becomes a force and you, you're like, God damn it, I can't get out of this chair. I'm laughing so hard. It's going to be like that, but for your like, uh, you know, it's going to be Shakabuku this week. That's what this episode's going to be. That's, I promise you nothing less than absolute epiphanic revelator uh, you know revelations of yourself your meaning in life and uh, a final challenge that you will have to defeat and that you will be defeated by all this and much more I'm kidding uh, no we have none of that we but we do have a monumental episode this is actually a red letter day um, a banner fucking day not only is it our first episode of June but our feature this week is System Shock. And here's what I wrote down. This is the remake of the game that when I was 13, 30 years ago, was almost impossible to play on any computer except for mine, which was brand new and was the most expensive computer I ever bought in my entire life. I think it's more expensive than any computer. This this last rebuild of this machine was insanely expensive, but it was a three in nineteen ninety three money. It was a three thousand dollar computer. It was a Hewlett Packard. It was one of the it was one of the first HP computers, and was the first first computer that I had ever seen that measured its CPU cycles in gigahertz. And it had a turbo button. My computer ran System Shock. I bought it the same fucking month. They, the two things were happy coincidence. Because I was buying this computer. It was all my bar mitzvah money. It was every fucking cent. And like fucking 300 bucks for my mom for my birthday. Um, she, You know, she fucking slavered it on there. Um... And with the very last piece of that money on top of buying this brand new fucking computer, which was top of the line, and my monitor, which was a $1,000 monitor, is an NEC. I still have that monitor. With the last little tiny shreds, the last few pennies of spending more money than I ever fucking imagined having and or of spending in one throw I added a game and the game was System Shock and the guy tried to warn me he's like oh man no that that's brand new that came out this week no one can get it to run 
No one has hardware good enough to run it. It's so be- Bleeding Edge was not yet a term, but System Shock was one of the games that pioneered the idea of Bleeding Edge fucking releases. I'm like, well, I'm bu- I told the sales guy, I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm buying this guy over here, this 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 computer. He's like, you got a good chance that it'll run, and guess what? Run it did, and this changed my life profoundly in many ways. But before we get to all of that, and whether and we're gonna find out whether or not we're gonna take a deep historical look at System Shock, and we're gonna, it's literally one of the most legendary uh, games ever. Immaculate design, unbelievable fucking game. But it was unfortunately unrecognized broadly in its time by the average consumer because no one could fucking run it. And for other reasons too that we will address. But I've waited 30 years for this single game to be made available again. And I had given up hope. And then two years ago, uh, for the Steam Summer Sale, or Steam uh, Game Dev Blast or whatever, like the Not Ready for Primetime stuff, they released a demo of System Shock, the reboot, which is really a remake. We'll talk more in detail. And I was like, oh my god, they have done it. They have done it. Well, now it's out. It is in the wild and running wild, hot, naked, and scary, screaming at the unforgiving stars, what have you done to me? Why have you forsaken us? And we'll get to the merciless answer, but was 30 years too long a wait? And is this worth, Is this remake actually worthy of its namesake? We will find out in our feature. But first, before we get, get to that, we have two other pieces of top story news. One, I experienced a moment of cold, stone cold fucking gut-wrenching terror this week. This was like four days ago when I booted up Starship Troopers uh, Extermination, which is like rapidly becoming my favorite game that I'm, I've am i been playing. And we'll talk more about that. I'm almost up to 20 hours, but it's still in early access. But here's the thing. As I warned everyone about last week and every every other time every other time we've mentioned this game on the show it's in early access and it does have EAC inside of it and it is probably not going to be playable on Lin- I don't know it's it's difficult to make suppositions like that although last week's episode was filled with just wild suppositions um I have no follow up on meet your maker but anyway four days ago, I was kicked one time while trying to log into the game, because it's only multiplayer. It's only multiplayer. I was kicked for EAC, and I was like, shit, it's already happened. Sucks, because, like, I barely, I'm, like, you know, I'm really in love with the game, and they're rolling out all this cool shit. They released their, their live roadmap and stuff. The game is fucking awesome. And I was like, oh no, this is the beginning of the end. They're gonna fucking they're gonna make it impossible for us Linux players to play it. But a couple of hours later I tried to log in again and it totally let me play and I, I've not had another problem since. But it was just like a uh what do you call it? A, a very depressing reminder that 
wallets and early access, they have not locked everything down, but that when they do lock everything down, I don't know. It's anyone's guess as to whether or not Linux players will still be welcome. And by then, it will be impossible to get a refund. However, it will also be impossible to play. So if you like Starship Troopers the movie, um, and if you love the hilarious darkness of the fascist overtones, explicit, implicit, and etc., Doogie Hauser is a Nazi! They know fear! You want to live forever? Um, and you want to get a little bit of that flavor and feeling finally from a video game. How is that for Farley Flavors? Five free, fantastic flavors um, of alliteration or flavoration. You need to jump on this now because I, you know, I don't have high hopes for it supporting Linux players. You know, whether or not it leaves early access in the near future or not, um, eventually I, I have a bad feeling that they will marauders us again. And those of you who haven't been listening to the show, when marauders fucking e- start EACing Linux players every week for like eight weeks at the start of the show in the top stories, I would report whether or not marauders had fixed access for Linux users. You know, I'm not asking for much. I just want to be a fucking first-class citizen just like everybody else. I paid my money, motherfuckers. Marauders was one of my favorite games of the last, you know, year, two years. Still does not work. So, I'm very familiar, you know, and anyone, you know, who's been around long enough. But doing the show for ten fucking years now, um... It's a new kind of disappointment where, like, you get to buy the game and play the game for a little bit, and then they turn off the game for you, and you can't return it. It's really unfair, and it's really fucked up, and it really makes me angry. But I think we did for eight weeks, maybe more. Maybe, like, three months. We might have done it for 12 weeks. Um, Marauders is still borked. Yeah, sucked. Sucks, because that game is, like, so good. So, before we get to... We have two new and noteworthies. And we have a deal for you. And because our feature, which is System Shock, is so dense, um, I'm putting the deal right up front right now. Now through June 8th, Sniper Elite 5 is 50% off. This game came out one year ago as of the 23rd of uh, May. It's... Personally, I like I like sniper contracts the best, but uh, I got this yesterday because it was like it's a sixty dollar it was like fifty dollar game or whatever. It's twenty bucks now. It's ninety dollars and ninety nine cents now through June fifth. And uh, go back and listen to any of the go back and listen to the review of sniper contracts that we did uh, if you want to know why that game was so great. This is the campaign version, and it takes place in a World War II setting, so you don't have any of the fancy stuff that you have in contracts, but uh, the game is, like, universally lauded and, you know, beloved. Like, the dick-sucking is so voluminous and so throat-deep, fucking balls-to-the-chin, fucking not even any visible pubes left. Chokorama. 
That's how much people fucking love this game. And friend of the show, uh, uh, Webster, loved this game when it came out last year. I saw him playing it all the time. Um, I miss Webster. He's a good guy. Uh, he's still around. He's still alive. I mean, he's playing Rocket League right now. I see him. On, I see him. In the, I recognize in power. Um, he loved Sniper Elite 5. I haven't played it, but I just installed it. And you, 50% off of a game of this quality is a really good deal. So, wanted to mention that first before we got, got into the weeds. We covered the Starship Trooper thing. Feature System Shock. Ivor, based them with the new and noteworthy. Make it hurt. Give me ramming speed. I was a North American fall when worm in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. Alright, real fast, before we get to our feature on System Shock, we have two new and noteworthies, both of which are fucking pretty new and relatively noteworthy. I mean, I'm pretty noteworthy, but like, I'm not real wild about either one of them. First off, we have We Love Katamari Reroll and Royal Reverie. It's Katamari Damashi 2 remade, remastered. Um, it's 30 bucks though, and that's a lot to spend for a game that I know is actually like maybe 20 hours, maybe, maybe 20 hours, but I will eventually get it, right now I happen to be particularly broke, but I will eventually get it uh one of my favorite franchises of all time, I'm, I've waited forever to play the sequel um, like literally forever, I was still writing for the fucking paper back, uh, I remember when do you remember when we used to sing yeah, uh, Katamari Daimashi, I remember the E3 that I saw Katamari Daimashi in beta. I was writing for the paper, Frank Cifaldi and I were, were there, and we fell madly in love. Sky full of stars, we broke it. Mm. I can't remember if I ever played the sequel, because I think I did. I think I did, but I remember reviewing uh, the original for the paper, one of the best games, one of the most original, shockingly original games uh, to ever see widespread release on consoles uh, that had it or that had its origins in the middle of the fucking sequelitis wars, um, the dark, dark, dark period in video gaming history, where and it took you know platforms like Steam to really break the back of that stranglehold that the AAA uh, conglomcos of the publishers and developers and media companies that were, were forming and seething and trying to dumb down everything. It was like fucking Elder Scrolls fucking uh, I think Oblivion that, that was that E3. It was the, the, all the banners were for Oblivion. I remember, go, anyway, you can listen to other episodes of the show uh, to hear more and more fulsome rants about that era of gaming and what it was like to be a fucking game game critic during that time. It was fucking dark, is what it was, and that's why when I when uh, I was done with the paper, or the paper was done with me. Actually, everyone was done with the paper because they liquidated all of us, but um, all of us equally. 
Uh, all of you get turned into mush equally. Ah. Mmm. When I was done with the paper, I didn't. I, I kept writing for IGN. For IGN, Game Informer, and a couple other, a bunch of other places actually online. Uh, the pay was shit. Was not as fun as the paper, uh, but they did let you cover hardcore. Uh, the details of video games for gamers, unlike the paper, which you know you had to fucking write for a general audience, as if you know talking to your parents. But we at the paper were fucking nuts, and so they gave me so much leeway with uh, my reviews every week. Goddamn, I had to beat a game every week for fucking almost five years. That is hard. That is hard to do. But um. I was young and full of piss and vinegar. And I was fucking reviewing games for other fucking places at the same time. But, uh... Yeah, we love... Katamari uh, Damashi was like this breath of fucking unbelievable air because no game companies were taking any chances on any experimental blah. They'd rather make 15 bad games that were formulaic and have them all fail than take the chance and then, you know, cut four of those titles from their prospective future back catalog and instead invest in one game that they knew was really good, that they'd seen a proof of concept for, that's that's how bad it was. And it took democratizing agents like Steam to really break the back of these motherfuckers who were just pipelining and measuring metrically oh, you can't measure well, you can measure by feeling, I guess um every second spent in their games and we're no longer doing focus groups for like liking the game or quality assurance passes or bug checking. They were doing focus groups to get the raw metrics of how exactly how long did it take to beat the game so that they could schedule the sequel of the same game using the same engine and the same basic play mechanics see Call of Duty at all um, for next year's corresponding fiscal quarter and planning planning the marketing and budgeting of the marketing more so than any aspect of the development and in freak and not infrequently dumb intentionally making a game that was worse than its predecessor because they felt that they had enslaved and locked in a target audience who just out of sheer blind brand loyalty to the echo of an original game, like, you know, the original Call of Duty was pretty good. Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, those are both really good, but then they just start they, they realized, we don't have to make a new game anymore, we can use the same engine, and we can make it stupider. We can spend less money, and we can make the game intentionally worse, just so long as it's easier for people to understand. Not better to play, but easier for them to understand. So, there was, it was a dark time in gaming, and so when I left the paper, I didn't write really uh, extensively about games for a long time, until I started this podcast, actually. Um, which I knew would be 50 times the amount of work that I had done for the paper, but I knew I was good at the paper, and I 
you know, blah. I was like, oh, yeah, me and Ivor. I called up my old buddy Ivor. We were in the nom together. Isn't that right, Ivor? Look at the case. You're fired. Left me on that hell in Denang. So anyway, that's uh, welcome. Uh, we love uh, Katamari, Reroll, and Royal Reverie, which is basically Katamari Damashi 2. Just like the other remake that they did of Katamari Damashi. Sky full of stars. We broke it. King of all cosmos with his bare belt buckle. Um, and the other game that we have in our new noteworthy is a game that I will have to buy. I will have, I don't want to buy it, but I will have to buy it. It is Street Fighter 6. I don't know where 5 went, because last game I remember was Street Fighter 4, I think. But, uh, well, let me look. Ivor, you're fired. You're supposed to put this shit in the show notes. Oh, yeah, no, there was a Street Fighter 5. But anyway, I'm afraid that they're, that Capcom is going to fucking blow themselves up again by making Street Fighter 6 in the, the same way that everyone's making fighting games now, which is a bad way to make fighting games. Everyone followed this lead from Tekken, which sucks because I love Tekken as a franchise. But Tekken, for me, was the first franchise that started breaking out all of their fighters into like separate DLCs and they are not inexpensive so like if you want to play as you know your favorite character or whatever you'd have to pay like 30 bucks to buy the base game and then you'd have to fucking you don't unlock the character you have to buy them outright and so it was like oh yeah so the whole total cost for everything in Tekken whatever was like you know like 300 fucking dollars Street Fighter took that to the next level with Street Fighter V, where everything was uh, a la carte. Basically, all the characters are a la carte. It's a lame model. The worst franchise for, that does this, by the way, just for the record, and then we'll get to our System Shock thing, which, by the way, is going to be fairly tight and terse, and it's very dense, but it's going to be a lot of fun, um, was uh, Street Fighter. Or no, I, no, the worst of all time was Dead or Alive. The Dead or Alive franchise? Oh my god. Let's find out. Ivor, I'm going to pause it and find this out. Ivor, pause it! I said pause it! You're fired! God damn it, can you? Fuck! Yeah, okay, so th- yeah, thank you, Ivor. You're fucking, you're a legend. Um, so, Dead or Alive 6. Oh, this is great. This is from Game Rant. The 15 most expensive DLC content of all time list. But Dead or Alive 6, which I think is the most recent. I'm not sure. Um, let me find out. Ivar! Yeah, Dead or Alive 6, which costs $60 to buy. Has four season passes. All of them cost more than 60 bucks, which is the cost of the base game. Uh, this is again from Screen Rant or GameRant.com. Many thank yous. And outright, re- I'm reading directly from their copy. And an outright ridiculous amount of side content beyond that. So it costs. DOA 6 players could potentially pay in excess of $2,051 for everything. And they add, and we'd hate to know if someone actually did. I love Dead or Alive, but like, I mean, fucking Christ. Yeah, you can print money hand over fist. You're going to piss off every single one of your fans and alienate them for forever. I was a huge Dead or Alive fan. Big, 
got huge, huge tracks of land. Big, giant, bouncy tits and really cool, fun martial arts stuff that ranged from, like, very realistic with, like, you know, Shaolin, you know, fist boxing stuff, uh, interspersed with, like, real wrestling shit and these dynamic environments and stuff. Dead or Alive 6, I'm never buying it. It's $60, and it doesn't come with any of the characters. So anyway, I'm I'm very afraid that Street Fighter 6 is like that, but presently, also known as now, right now, as of earlier this afternoon, it has a gold rating on ProtonDB, so it ostensibly, it does run on Linux. I I, I tend to I tend to only believe that once I've seen it, but with Steam's you know liberal uh, return policy, that's usually not a problem in terms of experimenting. It did not used to be that way. Um, so I'm when I when I get money again, I will get Street Fighter Six and I will give it a go. Um, and I, I just hope that Capcom. It's difficult to tell because it came out yesterday. I think let's see Street Fighter. No, 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 no. Guyvar! Oh, we'll get the case, Ivor, won't we? We'll get the fucking case. Yeah, it's 60 bucks. So far, the reviews are very positive. Came out, yeah, came out yesterday, or two days ago. June 1st. Um, so, the main game is 60 bucks. Then they have a deluxe edition. I don't know what that means. That's $85, which is a ridiculous amount of money to pay for a game that doesn't have all the characters. But then even more disconcerting is the Street Fighter VI Ultimate Edition, which is $105. Now, what bothers me most about this pricing scheme, by the way, isn't that there are three tiers of it, because I don't know what... And they don't make it easy for you to figure out what the fuck you get. But I think it it would be the two DLCs. It's content for this game. Why are you launching the game with... Okay, so check this out. Street Fighter VI Year 1 Character Pass is $30. Street Fighter VI Year 1 Ultimate Pass is $50. That's on top of whatever fucking... Bi- you know, so like, I imagine those are bundled into the 104 $105 fucking thing, but what really pisses me off, and I don't know if like that includes all the characters or not. And I'll find out. I'll find out, you know, from buying it and then seeing and then I very rarely return any game that runs great on Linux. It has to be a fucking terrible game. But this sort of shit, this is just not this is not kosher. Like if I if if you pay me $400 to do a fucking piece of art for you, I'm not going to give you half of the piece of art and then say for each of the remaining two quadrants you know, the bottom two parts of it it's going to be another $400 for each of them. Otherwise you just have half a piece of art. Yeah, that you already paid me $400. Like, you have every right to like brain me with a goddamn lead pipe, which... Brings us to our feature. But yeah, I'm very nervous about about uh, Street Fighter Six, especially after Street Fighter Five, where you know it was a great game and they're great looking games, and I love fighting games. But man, you a la carte per character. Fuck you! 
$60 is more than... But, oh, yeah. Let me finish this thought, then we'll move on. And, and don't worry, we'll be out of here in under an hour. Um, what really, really makes my skin crawl is the base game is 60 bucks. Deluxe Edition is 20 not just 20 and not 30 but it's $25 more. That $5 tells you everything. Literally, in terms of pricing, they easily could have been 80 bucks. That $5 tells you everything. And then the fact that they increase that. So so 60 bucks, $85, $105. So $85 is not enough to get everything. It's five extra dollars. That's just like you you fucking monsters. (laughs) That's what it tells me. Because that $5 is pure unadulterated cocaine flavored gravy for these fuckers. And they're so brazen with it. 80 bucks is too much to pay, by the way. $105 is so too much to pay. Um, and it's a hundred and five, as if like they have to, as if they're taking care of their employees with that money. No, no one's getting that money. Is not the Christmas bonus fund for all the people who fucking slaved on. Anyway, that is just fucking brazen, brazen fucking profiteering and taking advantage of unsophisticated fucking rubes. Or nostalgia, or nostalgia-ridden individuals. So, speaking of which, Ivor, why don't you baste him with our feature? Shodan has returned. What do you think? Oh my God! It's Bolivian. Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature. I can't read you. I can't read you. I can read your mind. Take it, Scooky. Alright, so we're going off my note cards here. I, I had to outline this as no, in the form of note cards. First couple are a little rough. We're gonna need some more whiskey for us to get through this unscathed. But don't worry. As we gain focus, as we move on, these become more and more focused. So, System Shock. For those of you who do not remember, for those of you who are under a thousand years old, in 1993, a game came out called System Shock. It redefined what a video game could be in almost every single way. It introduced entire new mechanics that have echoed... Here we go. So System Shock, ultimately, I mean, right now, in the present day, 2023, it doesn't need its laurels, you know, to rest on, or whatever, because the merits of its revolutionary approach to fucking game design, you know, totally make it self-standing. It is a robust fucking game. From a critical perspective, there is... There are some things you can nitpick with the original, but you're really nitpicking and etc. We'll reveal the mystery of the original as we progress. The remake stands on its own. 
and it is just the pure fucking gameplay. So what was this game when it was originally made in 1993? Um, it was a really a Promethean slash Sisyphusian kind of development project. It was a game that was so complicated that no one thought it could ever be made. It introduced so many new mechanics and utilized so much new technology that no one thought that they would ever, any, you know, even the people who worked on it, like, oh man, we're never going to get this off the fucking ground. This thing is too complicated, too many moving parts. It's too ambitious. Um, you know, blah. But they did it. And by doing it, it didn't end up meeting its actual intended audience, what it did was inspire everyone in the industry and every game critic and every hardcore gamer who ended up playing it to think about games in a new way. And so all of the games that you've played, if you're like, I mean, I'm 43, I'm old as fuck. But if you're like under four, if you're under, you know, 30 or whatever, almost every game that you've ever played that is a first person anything owes more than you probably understand or can possibly comprehend to one game and that one game is System Shock Um, and so this game was so monumentally important and so um so again, so ambitious and so sophisticated and, and brought about an entire new way of thinking about what stories can be told and what types of games can even be made that even 30 years, I can point to 15 different games in my fucking, uh, in my, uh, my Steam library from like, you know, the last year and a half, two years, all of which, oh, their entire fucking being really to System Shock which pioneered so many things and brought them all and this is the if, if you take away one thing from from the, this is not a review this is a feature it's a first impressions but it's also a historical look back um when you make a game that's so good that 30 years later most people who play other games that steal completely liberally from that game have no idea. It's like, uh, have no idea where that came from. That's a real profound thing. That's a, that's a high watermark. That's a, that's a re- legit next level. And it's always killed me that, well, okay, so it always killed me that the original never got to hit its intended consumer market and therefore, by virtue of that fact, never got as popular as it should have been every year almost, every couple of years I think, man, this is just like System Shock and I wish that System Shock could somehow be magically re-released today, but that's like that even for all the fanciful wishful thinking that that's implied in that it's not a it wasn't a realistic thing that I ever thought I would see actually happen. I thought that maybe there would be like a remake or a remaster and by like a remake I meant I mean like 
you know, the same game, but like, like Katamari Daimashi, that's a remake. It's a high definition upscaling and kind of a full remake, but it doesn't modernize it in any way, which kind of sucks. Because, like, if you've already been in Katamari Daimashi. But then again, it does bring it to a new audience, a modern audience. And this is a tough fucking recipe to ask for because, well, anyway. In this remake, and it is a remake, it's not a remaster, it's not an upscale of System Shock, not only will finally a wider audience can truly experience like the majesty of one of the best designed and and most legendarily, unfortunately obscure games ever made, but they get to experience it in a way that, without relying on nostalgia... There is no nostalgia factor to this remake. It does not need your feelings. Although it got mine. I fucking literally I teared up when I saw Shodan for the first time. I was like, oh my god. It's been 30 years and here here she comes again. My ancient nemesis. Oh my god. Here we go. I mean, it's ball pumping fucking uh, you know, serious excitement. I'm only six and a half hours into the game, but uh, you, you know you 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 see her in the new newly produced introduction to the game, which is a pseudo interactive thing that gets you on to. For those of you who don't know, and because we're gonna keep talking in broad abstracts about this, and I'm not going to fucking spoil a goddamn fucking thing. Spoiler free as ever. On this show, BLGP is always spoiler free. If there is a spoiler, there's no spoilers in these notes. But um, I will, I will let you know. There's, I'm not gonna ruin anything. I swear to God. And this, this game of all games, you don't want anyone. Don't listen to anybody else. Just go buy the fucking game. Again, this is a first impressions and a historical overview, not a review. We will have a full review sometime in the future. So. For the uninitiated, System Shock, the original began with you waking up on a space station in a wrecked medical sick bay on this space station, and you find some logs, some data logs that, and then you find a lot of corpses. And your job is to figure out. One, what the fuck is happening here? Two, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? And three, what is causing this and what do I need to do to stop it? It is Citadel Station, Trioptimum, which is a multinational corporation that's taken over the entire technology industry, AI, bio, biomedical, uh, pharmaceutical, um, cybernetics, advanced, you know, um, computing technology, chipsets, uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, neural network, n- neural uh, implants, shit that plugs into your brain, <coughs> biological hardware. 1993, this was fucking, it was, oh my god, it might as well have been written by Philip K. Dick, it was so good. Try Optimum, has its major laboratories on the universe's largest space station, Citadel Station, orbiting Saturn. 
you wake up there. In the remake, the, the the new one, there's actually like a really cool interactive sequence where you start off on Earth. You're only known in the game, if ever, as the hacker. That's who you play as. And so there you go. So somewhere between like, uh, yeah, okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but uh, maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was a big thing in Hollywood where everyone started trying to do frame-by-frame remakes of their favorite films, some of the most master... Like, they did a frame-by-frame remake of Psycho. Just, these are, like, funded by massively wealthy, egocentric, both directors, actors, and, you know, whatever... It's just, it was the stupidest idea ever at the time because you're not going to out Hitchcock Hitchcock. So what are you trying to do? You know, if you want to remake the thing, you got to remake it yourself. You know what I mean? Having a frame-by-frame remake is just insulting to the person who you're stealing from. It's like a fucking vainglorious ego trip, you know, and it's going to be shitty. Everyone's already seen the movie. You're not going to make a better movie than Psycho, and I know for a fact that you're not going to make a better version of Psycho than Psycho by remaking Psycho frame by frame, shot for shot, with just with different actors. It's asinine, and it just shows why actors are generally stupid, and, uh, etc. But, the video game industry is not immune to this either. We make a lot of hay on this show talking about the originality of games. Ivor and I spent a lot of time, um, you know, during the show prep and doing the, the rundowns for every show and figuring out what 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 are we going to say about you know these games and stuff. We do take into consideration: is this derivative, nasty trash, or is this just like a fucking? copycat of something else that fails in every way or where does it succeed you know etc but how derivative is it because really realistically i came up during as a journalist as a game critic during those bleakest of days um in the in the uh in the early 2000s where game companies thought they could just fucking force feed everyone and keep us on a clock and not make better games, make worse games, and charge more that cost less for them to make and are increasingly stupider and stupider. The sequelitis. So how does how does System Shock, the remake, how does it escape this? Like I said, it does not, it's not relying on nostalgia to help you love it. You know, you don't need to have ever played System Shock before. This game feels as modern as any other game you will ever play. It retains the exact, it cues so closely to the original, not just in terms of its roots, but in terms of the actual geography. The map is still fucking complicated. Um, It's eight levels on Citadel Station, each level with multiple internal levels, which is a first. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. Um, We will be out of here in ten more minutes, I promise. Well, maybe, maybe twenty. We'll go an hour and fifteen for System Shock, because it's worth it. And I spent the time to write this all out. Um, So, System Shock is the opposite of that frame-by-frame Hitchcock thing. It's the opposite of the sequelitis kind of thing. It hews so close to its roots and to the original map and the actual fucking 
geometry of the original geography of the original game. And it even keeps, it has this pixelated effect to the textures, but we'll talk more about that. So it doesn't, it's not relying on nostalgia. It's just showing up and proving to you in a modern way. This is like one of the best, this is probably like in my top three for all time best game ever made. System Shock was. And we'll get to why. So, you make something that influences everything that comes after it, but no one really recognizes it as the originator. It's like an echo that goes for 30 years in an industry where a month is like a year. Where a month is like fucking half a year. A fiscal quarter is like five years. Three years in comparison to any other industry. And like a fucking four fiscal quarters is like measured as an, you know, do you stack up like 12 fiscal quarters? That's like a fucking entire epoch. That's like an era. Like a Jurassic era. That's how fast tech was moving then and is still moving today. So System Shock is not only relevant as like a curio, this game is fucking awesome to play. It brings back all of but it's like all it all feels new. It all feels just as new and fresh as it did back when it was originally made. So what is System Shock? The original and the remake. But that's a profound statement. We're talking about an industry where entire genres of games rise and fall within 12 months. You know, that's how fast it moves. And this game, which not many people recognize the spare parts of as they've been apportioned and uh, appropriate because everyone who was in the game industry knew and loved System Shock. It was... It was titanic. It was a behemoth. And it was obscure. We'll get to why in a few moments. So first, I just want to give you a sense of the type of gameplay combinations that had never before been seen in one package. The game is primarily, first and foremost, a first-person shooter. But it has all of these elements. This is a 30-year-old game has all of these elements that are super core and absolutely um, you can't have System Shock without these elements. I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So it's first of all, it's a first person shooter, but it is a survival adventure slash disaster game. It also combines the best elements of old school point and click uh, cursor style um, you know, uh, a- a- adventure games like King's Quest, where they had dynamic text prompt entering, but you had a visual, entire visual thing, you know, like Maniac Mansion, King's Quest, Space Quest, all that stuff, where you could actually look at any individual object that's on the screen and get a uh, text feedback similar, again, to text-based adventure games like Zork. Um, so it has elements of all of those. Then it wraps it up, and I'm going to keep saying it wraps it up in, because that's the only way I can express it, into a narrative RPG, a literally a role-playing game, a first-person shooter role-playing game. Like I said, with uh, text-based adventure game levels of introspection and detail for every object that appears on the screen. And in fact, 
It was the first game. Well, we'll talk about the first in a moment. Then it also was a puzzle game. But the puzzles were never absolutely 100% core. It was really adventures, really exploration, survival. And then puzzles were like the bonus. And the puzzles were hard. I hate puzzles. They were hard, but they were in line with the game. So you didn't even realize that you were solving a puzzle most of the time until like you had solved the puzzle. A game, a modern game that does this very well is Breath of the Wild. And uh, from what I hear from friend of the show, Jeff Jeffrey Wise, congratulations on your new computer. Um, Tears of the Kingdom, the Zelda sequel. Also, on top of all of these other things, it's all wrapped up in a mystery. And what powers this mystery is horror, fear, dread, surprise, zombies, robots, AI, science fiction, action, adventure. And all of this gets placed in an environment that is basically uh, a sandbox design. You know, jump boots and locked doors style sandbox design. But way more sophisticated than any other game that's ever been made, in my opinion. But the design, overall design, absolutely prioritized the maintaining the illusion of free will above all else. Free will and storytelling. The illusion of free will and storytelling were the hallmarks at the core of System Shock. It's what made the game so fucking brilliant. Everything else, all these other things, and we're going to go through here's the second list of stuff, because I got I got two more lists from here. But System Shock showed a new approach to what a game could be. How much you could have in a game. The types of themes that a game could actually cover. And so it, these are the themes that it, it, it combines into one seamless experience. It's got sci-fi, cyberpunk, artificial intelligence, horror, disaster, movie and suspense, zombies, mystery, dystopian late-stage capitalism and social criticism and semiotic analysis and and sardonic, but not sardonic. It was very dead serious. It was a very dead serious game. The game is n- gruesome and horrifying and hellish and nightmarish. Also, this is the first game that I can think of long before Half-Life that really originated that idea of your first day at the office is the worst goddamn day of your life. I call it the Freeman effect. System Shock was the first game to ever do that. Like, you just wake up on this station after having an implant installed in your head. In the original, in, in, in this one, it gives you that whole new introduction sequence, which is really great. It's, it's stellar. And it really helps place the game, uh, the action once you're on Citadel Station. Cause it starts off in Atlanta in like 2087 or something like that. Um, and I, I'm not going to ruin anything, but you get Shanghai and you're on Citadel. You wake up on Citadel Station and you're just surrounded by corpses. So, let's talk about the innovations. These are technological as well as design innovations that the original System Shock completely pioneered, if not in out of whole cloth, then 
was the first game to combine them into one fucking game. But a lot of these, it did out of whole cloth. It made it, they they developed this game that actually made these things a thing. And if, so, if you want to talk about Skyrim, you want to talk about Oblivion, you want to talk about Elder Scrolls, um, the only game that probably wasn't super influenced by System Shock that is in my humble opinion, like one of the greatest games of all time, and it's actually in my book, I cite it as being the greatest game ever made, but that, you know, Blue Wizard's about to die, is about 20 years old now, um, is Fallout 2. Fallout 2, unbelievable. Fallout 2 also absolutely maintain the illusion of free will at all times. Give, even though we all know that the sandbox has its limits, and that there's jump jump boots needed to get to this place or there's no jump boots in System Shock, but locked doors and and you know key cards that you need and and uh key codes for keypads that you need to find in people's journals and shit. Um no one did anything like System Shock before or since. Even the sequels that they made were pretty good. I played some of System Shock too. But like for instance Bioshock it's called Bioshock because they love System Shock and they wanted to make an update of System Shock and they couldn't figure out why the fuck they weren't going to do an update. Anyway, Bioshock's a great game. System Shock is an even better game. So, here's some innovations that were first ever that System Shock brought to not just like... When I say these are innovations, this is like Promethean Gold. It's a hero who comes back with something that is totally new to an industry that that or people that are you know beleaguered and and dying and 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 they need a new thing that can help them. And Prometheus brings back the fire, but is exiled from the gods and has to work in his forge forever. He's cursed for all eternity. That is System Shock. This is not like um an improvement on a trope, although everything is an improvement on a trope or an idea or a, a gameplay mechanic or whatever. No one had ever done anything like the way System Shock did these things. So first off, first real 3D environments ever. Um, the lifts work and are switch activated. All the switches have their own logic. They actually animate and show their position uh, and they stay there. Uh, and they animate in real time. Uh, bridges extend over playable areas underneath them. That was a total first. Um, Dark Forces eventually, a couple years after System Shock, would actually offer the real first true 3D level design where you had tunnels entirely underneath and bisecting uh, underneath tunnels above or below them um, but System Shock blah, it was the first one to really do it that I can think of um, but in 93 they, they it was unheard of to, to have this to have like these lifts, to have like a level with like other levels inside of it um, two, working uh, working and persistent switches we already mentioned that uh, all this helps to add to the realism because system, well, we'll get to that in a moment but three uh, all sorts of fucking unbelievable geometry in the environment and high 
high fucking amounts of uh, manipulatable objects that you could like throw into your inventory for no good reason on earth they save trioptimum cups and ashtrays and shit but um like one of the craziest things was they used half unit sized ramps um they had ledges uh claustrophobic fucking maintenance tunnels, big atriums that were you know, so expansive and the way the game is visually paced in terms of it's not prescriptive in terms of where you go or whatever, but there's only certain places you can go until you do certain other things, blah 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 but it's very fucking labyrinthine and very claustrophobic and then there are these giant spaces, not super humongous, but totally realistic in their enormous scale that provides such deep contrast to, you know, all the other types of architecture. And these half-unit-sized ramps, they're about half of one, you know, person-sized height unit. Um, and you can't jump, you can't grab, you can jump, but you can't do ledge grabs. Uh, unless, I can't remember if there's an augment that lets you have rocket boots. I can't remember if that's true or not. But, um these ramps, they add, because this is just a fucking straight cube by cube, unit by unit, Doom era, Doom 2 era, representational three-dimensional space inside of a space station in in space. Um, so, all the doors are like one unit size of wall wide, and they have a big fucking button, you know, that you press to open them, All everything, the controls are simplified in uh, the remake and for the better it's awesome but so like, to give contrast and to add detail they used these half and quarter sized ramps where appropriate to give um, more places to hide and also just to provide variety but always with the idea of making you feel like you're on a fucking space station gone horribly wrong so there's ledges and and, uh, big atriums, they're tiny offices, they're tiny little labs they're giant labs, big server rooms, terrifying tunnels and ducts and all of this just makes it so um so overwhelmingly realistic seeming it o- almost overwhelms you with the with 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 its sense of atmosphere and place and accompanying that is the quickening slow but quickening pulsing drum beat of uh subliminal catastrophic terror of experiencing this game cuz you come from you're just nobody what the fuck's going on here? And that's what you have to figure out. And the environment tells the story. It's it was amazing then, and it's it's just as effective now. Um, it makes it totally believable, which makes it so much more real, and also makes the illusion of free will seem even more profound. Like you you will get lost, so you will learn to read the fucking map. 
You'll get lost. You'll become fam- in- intimately familiar with every fucking symbol on the map um, for every level. And you will learn how to read the map looking for exactly where you need to go. Um, and the game will just let you run in circles and scream and shout for forever. Uh, and it will respawn enemies as you enter and leave areas on one deck. And when you go back to another deck, almost everything respawns and is angrier because, well, we'll talk about that later. So the, the pacing of the game starts off very slowly because you're just a, the wrong guy in the right place at the fucking exact wrong time. And you did the one wrong thing and it was the only thing you could do. And now you're on a death ship. And it takes a long time for that terror to really creep up and sink in on you, even after you've killed dozens and dozens of horrifying things. Number four, one of the earliest games to have dynamic, this is super important, to have dynamic lighting as well as particle effect uh, driven sparks and other, you know, just tiny little effects. But the dynamic lighting was amazing. Uh, it meant that no more would we have like these flat Doom 2 universally either well lit or totally dark um, interior or exterior uh, environments like no more flat lighting because in, in System Shock the environment in one area of your field of view could be dark as fucking hell and then at the, like let's say you're in a tunnel and at the end of that tunnel on your right, there could be a light from coming from around the corner. So you can't see the light source, but you can see the light. And you don't know what's behind the light. In fr- you know what I'm saying? Like, facing it head on, you don't know if the corridor that you're in continues beyond it, if you're far enough away. Anyway, this makes, this was revolutionary in terms of the way video games look. It changed the way video games look for forever. Um, so the environment could be dark as hell, light on a corner, and it was brutal. This was so brutal on the system requirements, this aspect alone. And that along with the geometry and all the uh, enemy AI and all of the um, all the detail, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. It was so brutal on system requirements, but it completely, cumulatively, entirely redefined uh, how we expect to see a first-person shooter or any fucking video game environment all the way to this day. So, number five, unique and deadly and merciless enemies. All Many different enemy types from, you know, zombies to fucking cyborgs to ninja cyborgs to robots to tiny repair robots that can kill you to giant fucking animatronic fucking robot death laser turrets to everything in between all different kinds of enemies giant hulking robots robots that can fly robots that could be above you um in the same room and you wouldn't even know they were there until they detect you and then they attack um each with their own AI profiles, weapons, vulnerabilities, uh, damage types, and and also variants of their own enemy type. Um, all of which literally are devoted exclusively to fucking murdering the living shit out of you as soon as they find you. 
Um, literally, they kill you a lot. Especially, like, on uh, the hard difficulty level. It is very difficult game. The whole game was also super challenging. But not, I mean, you got addicted to it so quickly that the challenge is, you know, was not something that you were even aware of. But when you beat the game, oh my god! And when you, like, finish a puzzle, like, oh my god! This is awesome! You know, when you kill a boss, like, oh my god! Or you escape a trap. You know, the experientially, it was it's difficult to top System Shock. Uh, also, it was the first game that I I can recall that had two fully realized game worlds inside of it. One is Meat Space, which is like Citadel Station, normal human being, Meat Space. And the other is Cyberspace, where it's an entirely, it's a six degree of freedom fucking first person, f- you're flying through this Tron-like space shooter maze trying to get to like a data packet or to unlock a door or to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you have to destroy all these enemies. And it, uh, I'm playing on, on in the remake, I'm playing mine uh, the same way I used to, I think I used to play the original, where if you die in cyberspace, your character in meat space dies. So it's high stakes and there's only one way out of uh, cyberspace. And it, each one is different. Um, each terminal, each, each deck has its own cyberspace terminal and you can jack in using your neural implant and it's completely immersive and in the remake it's even better than it was in the original first game I remember that ever had two fully distinct game worlds with their own physics mechanics and everything but they're interlinked uh, first first person shooter with corner peeking ever that I, I that I ever played and I was I was gaming since the time I was like fucking seven um, on my tandy uh, first game with multiple different ammo types and to change ammo types it wasn't just a toggle you have to drop the clip in whatever ammo in whatever you know, weapon you have and fucking reload reload with the new weapon type um, this was for guns like they're flush there's all different kinds of ammo they all affect different targets differently and they're all really important um Different weapons, same way. There are energy weapons and kinetic weapons. There are fragmentation grenades, there's EMP grenades, there are gas grenades. There are proximity mines that are sticky mines that will explode when they detect any movement. All these different types of weapons, all these different types of damage types, all these different types of hazards. Also, speaking of damage types, it was the first game that I remember that had both radiation and chemical biological damage um, from exposure to hazardous areas. Uh, it's a crucial mechanic in the game. Eventually, I think you did get a radiation suit, um, but I can't remember. Otherwise, it's just hold your breath and make sure you're at full health and try to explore that room as fast as possible, and they get increasingly more and more difficult. And you frequently don't know to expect it unless you're looking out for the symbols on the doors or adjacent to the doors. Um... It's the first game to use bump maps ever. That I remember. First game ever to use bump maps um, on their textures. And so, and also used animated textures for like control panels, like, you know, light up displays and stuff. Um, which was a new thing. Uh, which, when combined with the lighting, 
was a new level of realism that was so far off the charts of anything that we had ever seen. Like, we were talking about, like, the Doom 2 era. Here, we're talking about 1993. Um, also, it had a radical new approach to storytelling where the ethos was action first. Literally, it was a first-person shooter first. But then, in terms of the story, which is what ultimately uh, you become obsessed with, ultimately the story drives you and the way it tells the story is redefined the way games tell stories it shows you it doesn't ever tell you um and so it leaves it up to you and your free will and your clever little monkey brain to figure out what the fuck is going on and as you do it sucks you deeper and deeper in and there's like an anacrusis after the first like two hours or three hours, depends on how fast you play the game and whatever and how thoroughly you explore where you realize oh my god, this is a nightmare. I am in a fucking nightmare. (laughs) And all this combines to make a game that presents you with a world that's so real and so alive and teeming with menace and so totally fucking dedicated to the idea of maintaining the illusion that you have free will to do whatever the fuck you want, go wherever the fuck you want if you can get there, you can go there if you want to die against the robot, yeah, go ahead walk in that room Um, you know, game is based off of save scum first principles uh but then there's another way to play it where you don't have to be save scum. You can be kind of a swashbuckler. But that is even more intense than the already ultimate level of intensity. So it it really transported the players into the the role of the hacker. And you're one with this adventure and you're actually experiencing this adventure as if it is your own. All of this, and we'll come back to that, but all this came at a price, like I mentioned. All these groundbreaking design decisions, super huge cost to the game when originally released, because it was so complex and had so many moving parts that it was impossible for them to chase down and fix many bugs, because, like, they didn't have, like, fucking 500,000 people fucking playtesting it, and this is before the internet. So, the bugs, you know, that were in the game were for fucking bad, and they were they were there were a lot of them, and these are just bugs in the game, um, and some of them some of them were totally game breaking. There's lots of problems. I don't remember there being lots of problems with corrupted saves, but I do I do remember fucking huge game breaking bugs, um, and crashing. It was because it was so intense. That's the other thing. Crashes were a way of life with this fucking game, and back then in general, because you couldn't push a patch through the internet, even if they knew that there was, like, a game-breaking bug, you know, or whatever. Um, So no one had attempted to make something quite this complex with this big of a budget and this just insanely ambitious level of profile. And that made the game... That that leads us to the worst part of the game in terms of its original launch. This is the saddest thing for me. Worse than even the crashes was the simple bleeding-edge nature of the hardware that was required to run it at its release. It would it would take like three years before most people who owned a computer owned a computer that could play System Shock after its release. Um, 
like I told you the story of me buying my HP when I was 13, same fucking, it was like within one week of the game dropping on store shelves at street date, I bought that computer and I bought that game because it was it looked, the back cover was just fucking nuts, I couldn't believe it and my, the computer I was buying met all the system specs but even then the guy was like, I don't know it might work, it might work I couldn't get to run on any of my machines um, so it would take years before anyone would be able to even play it, for most people to be even able to even play it and by then, it of course you know, other games had come out uh, and so System Shock while like the ultimate critical success of all time and obviously as you can tell from this you know feature a game that stands the test of time whose merits completely are obvious today and are just as good today it's a master class in game design and also how to control excitement and, 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 and immerse someone and suck them in and give them a story that knocks their balls off so yeah, and 93 was a big year for hardware advancements. Uh, the, you know, that was the year that it came out, but these advancements, like I said, would take years to filter. These were major changes. Like I said, my, my, my Hewlett Packard was the first computer that I ever owned that measured CPU cycles in gigahertz. It took years for that to become really embedded in everything that every computer had. And System Shock relied on that to begin with, and more. So let's go. We're, we're nearing the end. Here we go. So I like I like I said when we were talking about the uh, technical innovations, all of this combined to make an entirely new game that like no one had ever the likes of which no one had ever played before. It you felt totally transported in the experience, but there was only one real star of System Shock. The absolute be-all and end-all motherfucker of them all. The real star is Shodan. The mythically legendary AI nemesis who is devoted exclusively to stopping you from stopping it. It's terrifyingly realistic, unrelentingly and merciless and, and, and fucking just so scary, spookily, eerily, uncannily, excellently written depiction of what it would be like if you were trapped on a space station that is entirely controlled by rogue AI has overthrown all humans capable of inter- of of stopping it, of mounting any sort of meaningful intervention. Um, and you, that's the whole premise of the game is you discover. You discover. The way it tells you the, these stories isn't by showing you some flashback or whatever. It's you find people's logs and you start to associate people in their logs and their voice recorders and stuff like that. You, you These are ghosts. These are ghosts, but you will know their names and you will be able to follow piecing together from these logs as they mention each other, who did what to whom and when and where was it and inside these logs is uh, 
absolutely essential information that you have to pay attention to, otherwise you will never fucking get off the medical level to say nothing of like fucking later levels you need the the codes, you need to know what opposition there is, you need to know things about the environment, and these stories, these and they're very brief, generally and they're very very depressing, and very, they will fucking scare the shit out of you um this is a new way to to tell a story in a video game and to provide motivation for uh, a player so yeah it's it's uncannily random depiction of rogue AI gone fully off the rails and without ruining anything you learn of Shodan in two ways like I said through the logs of station members as they as they themselves became aware of and at different phases of their awareness that something is wrong on Citadel Station and are subsequently generally destroyed by this malevolent and unthinkable saboteur but eventually eventually you learn about Shodan in a more direct way when she starts talking to you and the writing and character design of Shodan There is nothing I would change. And especially in the remake, there is nothing I could change. It is flawless and so fucking scary. <laughs> like, the writing of these messages is so stellar. Uh, it, literally, it'll chill you to the bone. Like, go piss your pants and you're fucking... You will, your hair will stand on end and you will not want to move <laughs> at all. You'll want to just like... You want to crouch and find a dark corner and like just tell yourself that this is not happening. <laughs> because Shonen is really curious about you. Chill you to the bone and it reveals just what she's capable of. How fucking smart she is. How much she controls. How much she knows about you. And how fucking eye of Sauron focused eventually she becomes on engineering your fucking annihilation I won't ruin anything but oh it's skin she just has this skin crawlingly frank ethereal otherworldly fucking monster god um candid assessment, sociopathic assessments of you and your character and what you're doing and what, you know, and it's the tone in which she communicates with you that really, really, really gets under your skin because it's so terrifying. Like, at one point she says, um... I mean, literally, no villain in game history that I can think of before or since drove home the real horror of having this basically end of game boss introduced at the very beginning of the game and all throughout you don't talk to many of the end of game bosses throughout the entire game you know you don't you don't ever say anything to Shodan you don't say anything to anybody you can't talk but she says stuff to you and as her irritation with you grows she starts taking countermeasures <laughs> but she'll tell you things about them and the fact that she's telling you about them is 
terrifying. Like, she'll say shit like, you know, um, I, no villain in game history has ever been like this. When she says shit like, you come to me and I will give you all the answers you seek and teach you a new understanding of pain. She doesn't say it in a threatening way. She sees you as an insect. And it's so apropos for the current advancements in AI as we are nearing AGI. And in fact, I think we already have it. I think that we'll find out from an explosion because I think that everyone's still working on it. And they are just... Anyway, that's for next week. But, you know, your blood will run cold when when she reaches out to you and she'll appear on monitors she has a she created an avatar she'll like it'll you know have the trioptimum logo one minute and then it'll be her staring at you unblinking and she has security cameras everywhere that you have to destroy it's good to lower the security level I'm not going to describe the actual mechanics of death in the game because it is one of the world's greatest surprises in gaming history. Um, And most games have some form of that mechanism in them today. But your blood will run cold. You will be you will be fucking terrified. So, to summarize and in conclusion, about the remake. It retains and enhances on every quality and every aspect that I just described about the original. Um, If not directly, then it is improved upon it. Um, The big genius is the retention of these pseudo-pixelated textures and stuff. So, like, 30 years later, anyone can get the real feeling and experience what it was like, but it's not... It doesn't feel old. It feels totally new, but everything is the same as it was. Almost everything is the same as it was in the original. Um, right when it was released. And again, to come full circle, System Shock does not rely on nostalgia to impress. It relies solely on its merits and it's still stunning. So a full review will follow in the weeks to come, but for now, take it from Take it from this critic. Take it from your old pal Skooky Sprite. Might have been 30 years, but good lord, it was worth the wait. Check it out. System Shock right now is uh... Oh, I have you're fired! Showdown is back, bitches! Showdown is back! My goodness. System Shock, the, the remake is available for free download or 40 bucks, and trust me, it is 40 bucks that you will not regret. It's action-packed, it is scary, it is exciting, it is totally immersive, and uh, you also get the sense that they might have been trying to bang this up for a VR release, because the game is very, totally would be VR-friendly, but whatever. Um, This is the best remake of anything I've ever seen. Uh, You know, 
Tomb Raider 2013, that wasn't a remake. That was a reboot of a franchise. That wasn't a remake of a specific game. This is still the same specific game. The enemies are way more gorgeous. The particle effects are way more profound. Um, but the, there's a, still a real original pixelated feel to it that's left intentionally in the game that is secondary to the game that's underneath it. And that's like probably the best compliment I can, I've ever given a remake. So yeah, check it out and uh, tell, tell Shodan Skooky sent you. Catch you next week. Four or five times. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I, E.B. Farm. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna try four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to sing. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy yaddy yo. Four or five times. We're gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three. Yaddy yaddy. Four or five times. Matt Damon. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.